You're tuned in to the Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, it's Kojo for Kids with author Shani Mahiri King. But first, we're checking in on vaccine distribution in our region. As of last night, nearly 9% of the district's population had at least one dose of the vaccine. In Virginia, that number was just over 8%, and in Maryland, just over 7%. Locally and nationwide, we're still a far cry from the vaccination rates needed to see a dramatic decrease in coronavirus cases. So, what's our region doing to get closer to one day reaching herd immunity? Joining us now is Julie Zosmer, local politics reporter at The Washington Post. Julie, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You've been reporting on the vaccine rollout in our region, and there's a lot to cover. Before we get into specifics, what is your sense of how the rollout has been across the DMV? What are people telling you? I hear every day from so many people who are frustrated as they try to get vaccines, and thankfully from some people who are relieved when they do successfully make an appointment and get their first shot. Um, It's been a patchwork of decisions from state to state, from county to county. There are many different ways to register, many ways to get a shot or not get a shot, and it's been a difficult process for people to navigate. Let me ask you the really complicated question. At the moment, who qualifies for a vaccine in our region? Broadly speaking, and you're right, this is really complicated. This is different depending where you live. Um, Healthcare workers are eligible everywhere. People over age 65 are eligible almost everywhere in the region, uh, though some have had trouble actually signing up. Um, In D.C., teachers are getting vaccinated starting today. Childcare workers are also eligible and law enforcement. In Maryland, they just made some people with certain health conditions like immunosuppression eligible for the vaccine. It really varies depending (laughs) where you live. That's a lot of people. Are there enough doses for all of those who qualify for the vaccine? No. I think in Maryland at this point, more than 2 million people are technically eligible, and they have far fewer shots available than that, something like 500,000 perhaps. Um, there are many more people eligible than appointments available. We, is that why we're not seeing more shots in arms? Is it fundamentally a lack of supply of vaccines? Or are there also issues with how each jurisdiction is distributing them? There are a lot of issues, but absolutely the number one issue is simply supply. The Biden administration has promised that they will increase our allocation by about 15% starting this week. So hopefully... It'll tick up a little bit, but it needs to go up a whole lot more if we're going to actually have have a really smooth process where people can line up and get shots. Joining us now is Dr. Travis Gales, Montgomery County's health officer and chief of public health services. Dr. Gales, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. How is vaccine distribution looking in Montgomery County? Who is eligible and how is the actual process going? Well, that's a great question. So far, the actual distribution of the vaccines has gone well in terms of getting the doses that we've received out the door. We as the health department have received just over 32,000 vaccinations, and we have distributed uh, roughly 29,500 of those doses, uh, which accounts for over 90% of the supply that we've received from the state. Now, there are multiple places where folks can get the vaccine, including the health department, uh, through the health centers, 
uh, in hospitals. Uh, for example, Holy Cross, Adventist, and uh, the Hopkins Suburban Unit have stood up clinics for folks to be able to access. And as of last week, the state began providing uh, doses to retail pharmacies such as Giant, and, uh, and this week others such as Safeway and Rite Aid uh, to be able to provide access for do- uh, access to the vaccine for folks within the community. Now to the larger question, who's eligible in the state of Maryland, the governor has opened up provisions for individuals in the 1A, 1B, and 1C category, which is inclusive of healthcare workers, individuals over the age of 65, and a host of essential employees, in- employees including teachers and education staff. You have said a supply shortage is the reason we're not seeing higher vaccination rates and that our, at our current rate, it would take about two years to vaccinate everyone. Tell us how you came to that conclusion, that calculation, and what needs to be done to cut down that timeline. Well, in the worst case scenario, if our allotments stayed where they are right now, for example, this week, we as a health department received approximately 5,500 doses. Uh, And when you start mapping it out based upon population, we've got 1.1 million people in Montgomery County. When we look at folks who are healthcare workers in our 1A category, we estimate that's somewhere between 60 to 70,000 folks. When we look at individuals over the age of 75, that's another 72 to 75,000 people. And when you include those who are over the age of 65, that number goes up to roughly 180,000 folks. And so if you look at a a weekly allotment of somewhere between the five to 10,000 range, you start to map out and see how long it would take to be able to provide coverage for all of those individuals. Now, we certainly don't expect there to be 100% uptake, although we would love to see significantly higher percentages. But even at an 80 to 85% uptake rate, it would take a significant amount of time to be able to offer the vaccine to those folks based upon our current allotment before we would be able to move to uh, vaccination the general public. Well, I mentioned 1A. I'm glad you mentioned 1A because Anna tweets, please ask your Montgomery County guests what percent of 1B people who have pre-registered have received their first dose. My 83-year-old mother is still waiting and thank Dr. Gales for not expanding to 1C yet. Well, that's a great question. And and at the heart of this, we all, everybody is committed to getting everybody vaccinated as quickly as we can. But to your earlier point, Kojo, this gets back to a supply issue. So, for example, the health department, we are prioritizing the supplies that we have for individuals who are over the age of 75. And we want to make sure that we have an equitable process in place uh, to account for uh, the communities and areas and, and different groups who have been hit hardest and most disproportionately by COVID. And we're trying to you know, utilize that information to help uh, figure out how to best allocate the doses that we have. So for example, I've told you that we've got approximately 70,000 folks who fit the 75 and up category, but we only have an allotment of 5,500 doses. And so we're trying to think strategically as well as from an equity standpoint to make sure that everyone has as close as possible fair access to the vaccine. And it's not just a first come first serve system that rewards those who do have access to technology or may you know, be able to benefit from their personal relationships with others in the know. Let's turn to Virginia. Here is David in Bluemont, Virginia. David, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Kojo. And before I give you my uh, experience with the COVID vaccine, I just want to thank you for all your years of service. And you're you're a treasure to the community. We'll we'll miss you on a daily basis, but I know we'll hear from you in other ways. Thank you, David. um, 
Yes, my my experience. I, I'm I'm 68 years old. Uh, the vaccine was being done by uh, Shenandoah University, and uh, while getting the first appointment was uh, was competitive in terms of getting on the computer, refreshing, and everything. Uh, once I got my appointment, um, uh, it was for 10:40 in the morning. Uh, the the uh, vaccination center was extremely well organized. Uh, there were people uh, making sure you had an appointment before you got into the parking lot. There were shuttle services uh, for those who had trouble getting to the uh, getting to the center uh, with golf carts. Uh, we had an appointment at 10:40. My wife and I, uh, we arrived 15 minutes early. By 10:44, we were vaccinated and waiting uh, our 15 minutes uh, to to leave. So I I have to uh, really congratulate uh, Clark County for doing such a wonderful job and getting everyone, at least us, vaccinated. So um, that's. I have heard similar stories from other peoples who have, people who have been vaccinated. Julie Zosmer, when people actually get in to get the vaccination, are they having the same kind of response and treatment that David just described? Oh, I think anybody who actually manages to get a shot is thrilled with the experience if the experience ends in getting a vaccine. Um, that's, that's the bottom line for most people. Um, it, not everyone has as pleasant an experience. There are people who complain about long lines waiting outside in the cold. We, we know it's been bad weather lately. Um, but if you get a vaccine, you're one of the lucky ones. Um, David's experience brings up the interesting question also. Um, I understand he's out in Bluemont, Virginia. Um, mm -hmm. In Virginia, there's been real dispute among county leaders about how to allocate the vaccine among rural counties versus more urban or suburban counties that have higher populations, in some cases have higher incidence of the virus. Um, there, there's been definite difference of point of view on what the equitable way to distribute those vaccines are. Here now is Heather in Bethesda, Maryland. Heather, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, good morning. Thank you for letting me speak with you today. Uh, my daughter teaches first grade in Montgomery County, and she's having trouble just like the rest of many of us getting vaccinated. But Governor Hogan threatened to take the teacher's licensure away if they didn't show up for work on March 1st. Now, if, if that's such a priority to him and for all of us, really, to reopen schools, why not mandate that teachers be vaccinated before they walk through those doors? She, the teachers are feeling not valued at all and insulted. Interestingly, the staff has been vaccinated. The teachers, they put in a lottery. I would like to know a little bit more about that. Dr. Travis Gales, can you inform us? Well, the process that was described is not one that we have put into place as a county. So as I made in my early remarks, we as a county are prioritizing those who are 75 and up. And those uh, outside entities, the hospitals and other clinics that have been stood up are available to all those individuals, including teachers and staff and other folk, uh, to be able to access. Again, recognizing that there are limited appointments. Uh, we were contacted last week by one of the health systems. to They were given a, a significant amount of doses from the state to roll out to Montgomery County residents. And we provided guidance and encouraged them to include educators and staff in that 
process because as the caller recognized, it's important that they have that extra layer of protection as well if we're calling on them to go back into the classroom to educate our students. We're hopeful that as more doses become available, that that partnership as well as others that are being worked on behind the scenes will increase access for teachers and staff uh, so that yes, they will be able to have that extra protection as the doors for schools uh, reopen. We're going to take a short break. Dr. Travis Gales is Montgomery County's Health Officer and Chief of Public Health Services. We're also talking with Julie Zosmer, local politics reporter at the Washington Post. I'm Kojon Andy. It's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. Welcome back. We're discussing vaccine distribution in this region with Dr. Travis Gales, Montgomery County's health officer and chief of public health services, and Julie Zosmer, who's a politics reporter at the Washington Post. Julie, all three jurisdictions agreed to vaccinate as many essential workers as possible, even if they are not residents. NBC4 reports that nearly half of the district's vaccine doses went to workers who don't live in D.C. Obviously, a lot of people do work in the district, but are there concerns about this? Julie Zosma? Oh, we seem to have lost Julie Zosma for a second. Um, allow me to go to Joanne in Tacoma Park, Maryland. Joanne, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, thanks for taking my call. My question is about the, my second shot. Excuse me, I'm a healthcare worker. In Montgomery County, and I was able to get my first Moderna shot pretty quickly at White Oak. It was very efficient, but I'm concerned about whether I'm going to get a call for my second shot, which is due next week. Uh, Travis Gales? So, Julie, you will be receiving follow-up information from the staff as a reminder that you will need to schedule your appointment for next week. Uh, so stay tuned. And if you don't receive that notification within the next several days, I would encourage you to just give us a call uh, to make sure that it's not missed. And thank you very much for your call, Joanne, and good luck to you. Um, we got a tweet from the Parents Coalition of Montgomery County. It says, Montgomery County has 9,000 seniors in one place, Leisure World in Silver Spring. No vaccine clinic for that vulnerable group. Residents that can are driving to Baltimore for shots. Is there anything you can do about that, Travis Gales? Uh, well, there was an attempt, I believe, by one of the health systems to hold a clinic there to provide vaccines. Uh, that was not a county-led uh, operation. Uh, but what we can say is, again, we are trying to come up with different strategies that will prioritize seniors across the board in a fair, equitable way. And there are discussions in terms of how to best serve those communities that do have a large number of folks, but recognizing also that there's seniors spread across the county. And so we're trying to make sure that 
again, as best as we can through all the different factors that we can is to come up with an equitable process for how those doses are allocated, not just at one particular center, but also across the, the entirety of the county. Julie Zosma is back with us. Julie, all three jurisdictions agreed to vaccinate as many essential workers as possible, even if they are not residents. NBC4 reports that nearly half of the district's vaccine doses went to workers who do not live in D.C. Obviously, a lot of people work here in D.C., but are there concerns about this? Yes, D.C. has a very high percentage of its healthcare workforce, as well as its police and firefighters, and to some extent teachers, who live outside of the district in Maryland and Virginia. Um, and in the very beginning, when the jurisdictions were all first vaccinating healthcare workers, Maryland and Virginia agreed to give some of their doses to D.C. to help vaccinate Maryland and Virginia workers who uh, residents who work in D.C. Um, but that's not happening anymore. And at this point, it's certainly a strain on the D.C. system that they're getting vaccines based on their population and they have to allocate those vaccines to a much larger workforce. Dr. Gales, presumably Montgomery County is also vaccinating essential workers in the county, no matter where they live. Do you have a sense of how many non-residents are getting vaccinated and why you feel it's important to do it anyway? Uh, don't have exact percentage, but we do, you know, for example, in looking at our, you know, we talked about teachers. We do recognize that we have a fair amount of teachers who live outside of, of our jurisdiction as well as healthcare workers, et cetera. But it's important for us to be able to offer that because all of those individuals, even if they don't live here, they contribute significantly to our economy and to our opportunity to be able to reopen. And without them, we wouldn't be able to have our kids come back to school or staff our hospitals and other businesses. And so that's why we continue to promote the approach of, you know, providing access to the vaccine for residents as well as individuals who work within our jurisdiction. Here now is Lara in Silver Spring. Lara, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, hello. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my question is actually about testing. As we know, vaccines are not going to cover everyone for a while. Um, my whole family has been tested, and we were getting four and five days um, before we got a result. Well, um, we kind of accidentally found out about a website we could go to that's um, run by the actual company, the diagnostic company, and I was able to get a result in 48 hours by going myself. Um, so, but we're still not getting the call or an email from the actual testing site. Um, this proves to me there could possibly be a better way to do this. I understand maybe there's privacy concerns going directly to the website, but um, maybe there could be something done so we can automate this system a little more so we don't have people that are positive walking around. They just don't know. Is that testing being done by private agencies or is that county supervised, Dr. Gales? Uh, I, you know, I would have to ask the, the caller in more details about yeah. where they've received their test to be able to triage. But what I can tell you is that whether it's county or private-led labs, 
there are, we get a weekly report in terms of turnaround times. And so the turnaround times for the labs from when they receive the specimen to when they're reported to the state in terms of their responsibilities to report to the health department and then report it back to the local health department to be shared with, with individuals has shrunk significantly. You know, we're certainly sorry to hear that there are people who are experiencing delays. That has become the exception more than the rule. And so certainly we would encourage any individuals, particularly who've utilized county testing sites, if they're experiencing significant delays, to let us know so that we can figure out and triage what's happened in that particular situation. Julie, last week, Governor Hogan announced that Maryland would open at least six mass vaccination sites and that appointments for those would open this week. Where are these sites and what else should we know about these efforts for mass vaccination? I know they're setting up now at Six Flags. They're setting up at the convention center in Baltimore, I believe. Um, They're working on finding other locations across the state. In Northern Virginia, the members of Congress there have been asking FEMA if they can get one of the hundred sites that the Biden administration has promised FEMA will set up. They want one of them to be in Northern Virginia. Um, In D.C., on the other hand, Dr. Nesbitt has repeatedly said she's not really interested in a mass vaccination site at a place like the convention center. She thinks that the most efficient way to do it is to go through pharmacies and health clinics and sites like that where they can do a large number of people a day but not have huge crowds. Dr. Gales is like everything else about these vaccines. It's just sort of a state by state, county by county. There's no national decision making on this, really. Uh, Dr. Gales, is there promise in these mass vaccination sites that they lead to a large increase in vaccination rates? Well, you know, there's certainly opportunity within that if they're coordinated and the the logistical issues are worked through, you know, certainly from a perspective in terms of making sure, you know, is it open to every resident? Is the registration process seamless and easy? Who conducts the second doses? If folks get it, get their first dose in one place, can do they go back to that place for a second dose? I think if those types of issues are worked out very clearly from the beginning and are very clearly communicated to the public so they have a a fair set of expectations in terms of how things move forward, I think there's opportunity. Um, You know, at the same time, there's also opportunity within supporting uh, some of the the more niche opportunities uh, where people go, where they, you know, have trusted information, such as their private provider. You know, they have a relationship with that person already. So I think, uh, to Julie's point is, in the the absence of a national strategy for so long in the vaccine space, it's created a system where you've got 50 different states doing 50 different things and regions within those states doing different things. Uh, It would be more beneficial to have more of a standardized approach so that it alleviates some of the confusion around, you know, who's eligible here, where can I get it here, who do I go to, to and, and that kind of thing. We only have about a, uh, less than a minute left, but low-income and minority communities are getting vaccinated at far lower rates across the region, including in Maryland, where white residents are being vaccinated at twice the rate of blacks and Latinos. Um, what are some of the issues, and more importantly, Dr. Gills, what can you Tell me in 30 seconds or less that Montgomery County is doing to address this. Well, the big thing we're doing to address it is to make sure that we have key stakeholders when they get vaccinated and are known in the community to promote that information. The other thing is we are really looking at how to take those things into consideration in terms of how the doses are allocated within different communities so that it's fair and equitable from the beginning and not just putting the onus on individuals to uptake the vaccine 
or making sure they actually get fair access to it. Dr. Travis Gales, Julie Zosma, thank you for joining us. When we come back, it's Kojo for Kids with author Shani Mahiri King. I'm Kojo Nandi. Thanks for listening to The Kojo Namdi Show, and if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.